keeping, you know, expectations just upfront so they know that every month they don't pay on time, they're getting this form. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? I am Sarah Larby. I'm excited to have you tune in today to learn all about property management. And these two ladies that we have on are absolutely wonderful. They have helped many investors that I know manage their properties, find tenants. They have a very thorough screening process as well, which I really like. But just keep in mind, when you are looking for tenants, do not give the keys to the first person that offers you first and last. Five steps, make sure that you are thorough. Tenants are a dime a dozen, you'll find another one. Um, and especially in times like these with the ups and downs of the market cycle and the uncertainty with jobs and employment or unemployment, it's just really important to take our time selecting the tenants because they can make or break our whole experience. When it comes to managing, I mean, you guys know I self-manage my properties. It takes me about a couple hours a month um, with the 12 units that I have and it's manageable. But one day I'm going to want to snowbird sooner rather than later. And at that point in time, I may hire a property management company, just have the peace of mind not to have my phone on me or have to be connected. And so, you know, one of the things to keep in mind is look at that being a possibility one day. If you're currently self-managing, you're doing this hopefully because one day you want to retire, um, AKA not have to worry about anything real estate related, tenant related. And so you're going to likely hire somebody when your portfolio gets big enough or when you want to really disconnect even more so, or you might hire a property management company now because you've got multifamily buildings and it's a different client base if you're doing a single family house versus multifamily and you're going to be getting more tenant complaining, you know, <laughs> with one another, one tenant calling because the other tenant's smoking and one tenant complaining about the other tenant being too loud at three in the morning. So those are the things that you may not want to have calls about. Of course, you're still going to get the management calls. You, you do that. It's not a huge deal, but you might be dealing with a lot more babysitting and quote unquote therapy <laughs> between the tenants, which you may not want to have that as a responsibility. So the more units you have, the more multifamily you have, you may want to really consider having a property management company. The odd house here and there, you can add those, screen your tenants really well. They're still all very manageable. But keep in mind, at some point, you want to run the numbers with adding a percentage for property management. And you're, you're still going to do okay in 10 years from now, hiring a property management company, you're still going to be able to cash flow to some extent. So hopefully you enjoy the podcast and uh, feel free to leave a rating, a review, send me an email, sarah at sarahlarby.com, or also check out my new enhanced screening process on my website, which is sarahlarby.com. And you can actually see how I do my five screening steps with all of the documents that I use that's available. And hope you enjoy that. And let's get on with the show. Welcome back to another week. I'm Sarah Larby and thank you for listening to Where Should I Invest? Today I have two guests on the show, Sue Orr and Susan Corcoran. 
who are going to be sharing some of their expertise, some of insights on property management, but they do so much more. Welcome, ladies. How are you? Great. So nice to see you, Sarah. Thank you very much for having us. Absolutely. Maybe, Susan, we'll start with you. Can you let the audience know a little bit about what you do and what you do when it comes to real estate investing as well? Sure. So my husband and I are the co-founder of Keller Williams in Hamilton and Niagara region. And we personally have four residential investment properties and two commercial properties. Um, our obviously passion and love is with, with real estate. And the fact for us is that real estate really has changed our lives, given us opportunities. And we really see property management and working with investors as a way for them to also realize things that they want for them themselves, for their kids, for their legacies. And uh, we believe that when you come from a place of helping people and contribution and understanding that relationships are really the currency in real estate, in investing, in tenant management, that we feel that we bring a lot to our clientele, both within real estate and property management, of course, found ourselves with an amazing three-foot circle, hence Sue Orr, who is a total rock star, and we uh, absolutely love working with her. Thank you. Sue, what about you? So I'm also a real estate investor myself. I um, have three residential multi-unit properties in Hamilton. Invested about 12 years ago into the city. We moved from the West Coast to be able to invest in property here. So I come from a background of property management. Uh, I did everything from leasing to managing the maintenance department to eventually overseeing the operations and financial aspect of the of the company. And that's kind of where I focus mostly in growing businesses and making sure that no little stone is left unturned and everything gets checked off the giant list. Amazing. Well, I'm super excited to ask you both many questions about property management. So we're going to focus on that for today's podcast. I have a lot of investors asking me whether or not they should self-manage or hire a property manager. Personally, for those of you that listen to the podcast, I self-manage my own. I've built a team and processes in place, but it's not for everybody. What are some of the things to consider whether you know somebody wants to self-manage or hire it out that they should be aware of? Who wants to go? Uh, I'll go. I think that you know if your investment property is quite far away and it's not easy for you to be able to provide the level of service that you would want or expect to provide, uh, property management is a great opportunity. I think for people when they look at self-managing is you have to really enjoy it. If you're dreading the phone calls, if you're really unhappy, like if it's making you unhappy, it's probably time to, to hand that over and let somebody else make you happy again by not having any rocks in your shoes. Sue, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big, it can be a pretty big time commitment. So for really busy people, it really just makes sense to, you know, leverage that off to somebody whose focus is that so that you can focus on what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, is there a certain amount? Like, for example, like if somebody has 20 or somebody has 10 or somebody has five, where they say, you know what, I'm going to start self-managing 
myself first to learn the ropes. Is there a certain amount that you see people coming to you and say, you know what, this is getting too big at this point. Can you just take my portfolio? Does that happen with, with quantity? I think for sure that does happen with quantity. I mean, the more units you have, I mean, it's, it's a time commitment per unit. So obviously the more units you have, the more time you need to commit, right? So I think what I've seen in the past is, you know, if you've got more than four to you know, 10 units, that's typically when people are like, okay, I've had enough of this. I, I know my way around. I know what kind of tenants I'm looking for. It's time to pass this on to somebody who has um, more focus and more time for this. Yeah, absolutely. So when I look at my cash flow numbers, for example, like I'll do, you know, certain percentage for maintenance, for cap capital expenditures, um, vacancy rate. If somebody says, you know, one day, even if they're self-managing right now, one day I want to pass off my portfolio and have it managed by somebody else because I want to travel or I want to enjoy my time and not worry about this completely, you know, at all. What's a, a good percentage to add into that cash flow calculation? I would say you want to factor. I mean, most property managers, I think they vary from, you know, uh, I think 8% to 10% is very typical. So you do want to factor that into your budget. Um, and just to keep in mind too, that it, it is an expense. It's a hundred percent write off. So um, that will be accounted for at the end of the year. Okay. All right. Those are, those are pretty fair numbers. Now, what does a property manager do day to day, month in and month out when it comes to property management? Maybe walk us through some of the services that a property manager offers. And either of you can answer that. I'll let Sue do it because she ran operations. <laughs> she has every nook and cranny covered there. So where I like to begin with a property management client is ideally is right from pre-purchase, to be honest, because then we can really dive into, you know, return on investment and what kind of improvements they're going to need to make on the property to make sure to get the highest cash flow, to be able to, you know, work with them hand in hand to set the expectations right from the get-go. Because the worst thing is when you, you know, have a empty, beautifully renovated unit and the renovations unfortunately don't match with, you know, the market rates. So that's where I prefer to start because, you know, then you're kind of open and honest from before you tear walls out and rearrange things and put in new kitchens and bathrooms so that you can decide with your client the best bang for your buck. So of course, as soon as all of that is kind of taken care of, renovations ready to market, then we're filling the vacancies, doing showings, doing credit checks, making sure that you're choosing the best tenant for the property. And then once it's filled, of course, you're signing leases, collecting first and last and doing all of the financial month to month kind of things, including recording all of your ins and outs. And if they are not on time, issuing N4s and all of your notices uh, so that you have all the proper paperwork in case you ever do need to take that to the LTV. And of course, uh, if everything goes smoothly, then it's pretty simple. However, things break <laughs> uh, and they'll call you and they'll want it fixed. So the maintenance is actually a pretty big part of property management as well. I'd like to advise to, you know, budget, you know, a month's rent most of the time for, you know, small maintenance and for potential turnover repairs that are going to happen every uh, 18 months to two years, the average tenancy, um, the length of the tenancy, uh, to make sure that you're not kind of down to the penny when they do move out and you have those funds available to 
do all the required maintenance for the unit to get it back up to par again to refill it. And of course, you know, if things don't go so well, then uh, you're going to the LTB and making sure you have all your documents, all your emails, all your everything to make that case for for you at the uh, landlord tenant board. So that's never fun, but a required part of property management sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you bring up a lot of, of great points with having you on board from the start, because one of the biggest mistakes I see is often you're renovating for yourself versus renovating oh. to friends and not necessarily looking at the average comparables of a renovated unit because in some areas, you know, what we consider renovated and what, you know, another area considers renovated could be thousands of different indifference. Mm-hmm. Um, and a place like Brantford, for example, I don't renovate the same when I do my burrs as a Burlington house. Yeah. So completely different, the finishes, the, the amount of effort and work that goes into it. And sometimes, you know, with certain areas, like I'm just thinking Welland and St. Catharines, I know you guys do a lot of work out there. I mean, apartments don't need to be fancy. They just need to be clean and nice, yeah. cockroach free and bed bug free. <laughs> and, and potentially you're getting your top dollar at that point in time. Exactly. exactly. What are some of the mistakes that you, you see investors make when it comes to making decisions on renovations in the markets that you're that you're considering and that you're working in? The most common ones I've seen in my experience are, yeah, overspending on the finishes. You really don't need to put in marble for staircases and things like that. Like it's, it's not necessary. It's an unneeded upgrade. You can spend those dollars on better kitchen cabinets, maybe a laundry station or uh, things that are actually going to matter to a tenant when they're looking at a new rental unit. Um, the other thing that I found is a huge thing I've, I've encountered again and again is when pe- people are, will add extra bedrooms. They'll take one huge bedroom and make it two tiny bedrooms. And you're actually getting about the same amount of rent. And the type of tenant that will take a tiny two bedroom versus a huge one bedroom are so far apart. I would rather have the person who wants the big one bedroom than the one that wants the two tiny bedroom. Yeah, I would think that it's a different um, maybe clientele. I'm, I'm thinking as you're saying this, one could be like a professional couple or professional exactly. person that's going to move up. Hopefully, they're not going to stay in there forever because they're going to buy their own place or you know upgrade. Versus two adult roommates that can't afford their own place, or you know nothing against them, but a single parent with a child you know scraping mm-hmm. by that may have that might become their forever place. Yeah. Um, so 100% agree with you. Um, now, one of the, the key benefits that I think of hiring out a property manager, even though I'm a big believer for me, you know, I wanted to learn the ropes and I wanted to do it myself and it was fun. However, if I go to a different market, in um, the lack of time that I have now, I probably would start hiring it out, especially as, as it gets into bigger multifamily. But one of the biggest things I can see going into a new market is your team that you already have in, in place, your plumbers, your electrician, your handyman, like that is not even something that you have to worry about building. So who do you have on your team when you say, okay, well, you know, like it takes time to build, but who do you think are some of the key members, not, not by names, obviously, maybe just more by profession, who to, to really make sure that you have to do a good job managing and maintaining the properties? Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, they're obviously, it's your handyman for all the little things. They're hard to find people who can do a vast variety of things well. <laughs> and of course, the emergency services. So HVAC, uh, plumbing, though usually HVAC does include plumbing and gas fitting and electrical um, all within one kind of industry. So, um, but uh, kind of emergency services um, for anything like major backups, those are pretty essential. Um, and a really good exterior maintenance person, like the snow removal, grass cutting, that kind of stuff. I mean, it seems so small, but it can get people into a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Particularly the snow removal. Yes. And so do we want to, let's emphasize of why, why that's important to have the proper um, companies who do that because ultimately we're liable. So let's just touch base on that if you could. So, I mean, yeah, the liability does fall back onto the property owner. If there's a slip and fall, any kind of accident, any kind of injury, that's not ultimately the tenant's responsibility, even if they're the ones responsible for removing the snow or shoveling or salting or whatever. You're going to get named in the lawsuit if there is one because you're the property owner. They're going to name as many people as they can. You'll, you're going to be on the list. <laughs> so that um, is so important to have someone who's insured for enough liability coverage for those types of eventualities. It's going to happen. It's a numbers game. One in a hundred cases it's going to happen. So making sure that you have the right person to do that. Uh, so, so crucial because it can be very, very expensive to not have the right person with the right insurance and coverage. Yeah, absolutely. Susan, anything you want to add? Yeah, there's good to have another set of eyes, right? I mean, when you have these people in units, they can be a very casual eye to what's going on in the property. If there's any damage, if they feel that there's neglect, especially when it comes to plumbing, plumbing type of issues. So it's always good to have somebody in the unit that you can count on to look out for the investor's best interest while they're, while they're in there without it being a farm inspection. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So I've always been curious of this and you, you probably know more than me, but a lot of the really good multifamilies we all know get sold before they even hit MLS, before they even hit the, the system. How many do you guys, because you're property managers, do you know you, you've got a client, for example, that says, I'm going to be selling soon. And then you've got somebody that you're already working with. Like how many of those transactions are done through property management? You know, we get asked that question a lot, like, hey, I'm selling this property. Do you have anybody who's looking? And the answer is always yes. There's always someone on the list who's looking for a duplex, a triplex. The bigger units are a little harder in terms of like having someone ready to jump on, you know, a $3 million, 20 unit building. <laughs> but the smaller properties, for sure, there's always someone looking to buy, always. And I'm guessing those will go to your clients that you're property managing already that are saying, hey, if you have anything that come up, let me know. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's also a great benefit. Now, now let's just, you know, take a, another look at it. And if somebody does want to manage themselves, like what are, you know, maybe three key points or, or things that they should be mindful or aware of self-managing? 
I think um, the first thing to really be aware of is that tenants out there know their rights and you need to know them too. <laughs> you need to be well versed in the Residential Tenancies Act to make sure that the things that you're doing are within, you know, what they should be and that you don't get, you know, kind of blindsided by, you know, a tenant that, you know, may say that, you know, this is, this is how it should be. Like I've got, you know, a big backup in my basement. You need to put me in a hotel. That's not the case. If they have tenant insurance, that's what tenant insurance is for. And I hear that more than anything. Oh, I don't have to put them in a hotel. No, you don't. (laughs) So don't, don't forget to just know all the ins and outs of those emergency situations, especially because those can be the most costly. Tenant insurance too, right? You know, I don't know something, then you have people at the right club, uh, you have other people that you know that are investors to be able to ask those questions as you're learning the ropes uh, on some of these inside tracks, like Sue was saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to your tenant insurance point because there's not a whole lot that we have the ability to demand or to ask for, right? As landlords, but tenant insurance is one of those things that before the person gets the keys, I need to see proof. And it's really like, what is it like 20, 25 bucks, maybe 30 bucks a month. It's very cheap for the tenant to get it. Mm -hmm. But first of all, if there's ever a fire or a flood in the unit or in the property, like all of their stuff is not covered by the landlord's insurance or the home insurance. So they, they need their own. But just for the, the piece that you're saying, Sue, the fact that their insurance would cover the hotel or they would cover, you know, other things like that. Like that's, to me, that's really important. You don't want to take extra liability. We already have enough. For sure. For sure. No, that's huge. I mean, I usually when it comes to that portion of the lease agreement, that's the stories we tell. This tenant didn't have it guess what they got to do? They were just, you know, cold in their unit for however long until someone came along because they had no family or friends that would take them in. And then on the other hand, the tenant that did have insurance was in a hotel that night. So (laughs) it's kind of a no brainer, but a lot of tenants aren't aware that that's what it covers. They think it's just their contents and that's not the case. Absolutely. So here's a question, maybe Susan, uh, you can shed some light on that. You're, I know you're uh, a realtor as well, I believe, and uh, do a lot of transactions with investors. If somebody wanted to sell a property with a tenant there right now, the tenant is not paying. I mean, I, I get a lot of these calls, right? The tenant's not paying. The investor would like to just sell. You know, walk us through that. Like, what's the ability for a buyer to ask for a vacance, as an example? What's the opportunity for that risk of having that tenant not decide to move out? Maybe walk us through like, you know, one of those worst case scenarios, tenants not paying, landlords deciding to list the house on the market and wants to sell, then what, what, what are things to consider? Um, I'm probably going to lean on Sue a little bit around that. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is really making sure you understand what's already transpired, how far on the, you know, the path they are, are they, have they got a court date? Like, what does that really look like? The question, of course, is if if the buyer has any intention of moving into one of the units or if the unit needs to be vacant. I think to like listening to your other podcast, cash for keys is a thing. It's a thing that goes on. You know, a lot of uh, tenants are very nervous about properties that are going to be changing hands and that instability can also be a good lever to get them out specifically. Sue, did you have anything that you wanted to add there? 
Yeah, I mean, often when I'm dealing with people who are buying properties that are tenanted, I'll be advising them to make sure that they have a clause in their contract to make sure that they're going to get some sort of compensation if the tenants aren't out by the time they close the property. So that then the new owners can go ahead and do what they need to do at the LCB, make sure they have all the records of failed payment or whatever it is that will support their case at the LTB. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I will say like it just I mean having been in the business myself for a while, like if you're buying a duplex, I mean the thing is you can't really be like, "Oh, I want it vacant." and expect the seller to to agree to that. Now, like you said, they can do cash for keys and if they can get a vacant, that's great. But what we're seeing a lot right now is we've got a great potential duplex or triplex and all of a sudden the seller is expecting full market you know, prices, but they've got somebody that was, you know, that moved in 10 years ago and another person 15 years ago and they're paying like half market rents, but they're still expecting full price. So we're seeing, like, I'm I'm seeing a lot of that, unfortunately in the market. And then you're like, well, your, your house is not worth X. It's worth this much less in order to make it cash flow, but they think it's still worth just as much. So, you know, you definitely see a lot of that, but unfortunately you can't really ask for it in vacant. You know, even even a, a single family, I mean, you know, if you're moving into it, that's great. But essentially, it's really tough to 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 do if you say, please give me this vacant and then you're just going to put another tenant when you get possession. I mean, if the seller wants to get rid of that tenant for you with cash for keys, that's great. But it's always a sticky situation, right? Be careful, too, when you're doing that, you're moving in, because if yeah. you have a tenant <laughs> who is watching, you can really get a kick in the butt for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so even like, okay, so for example, like N12s and N13s, I think that they, so one is obviously for, for moving in yourself or a family and then the other is for renovation, but didn't they recently like up the fines if you are shown to not have correctly stated that? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I mean, with uh, kicking them out for renovations, you still have to let the old tenant back in at the same rate they were paying before. So that makes no sense. (laughs) Exactly. They have the first right of refusal. Is there a certain timeline for that? I'm not sure about that. You know, I'd have to um, check, check the RTA. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting. I mean, that RTA guys, if you're listening to this and you haven't read it, I mean, it's, it's, pages and pages and pages. It's long, but it's definitely a good read. And if you are a landlord, you should definitely read it. If you're thinking about getting into real estate investing, you should still read it because then you can see all of the, you know, things that you have to be aware of as a landlord. And then you see how the board or the, the RTA is so skewed, unfortunately in Ontario to the tenants and the landlords have to do all these things and they have all these handcuffs on them. But I will say real estate investing regardless is the best investment decision I've ever made and it got me to where I am today. But there's pros and cons. For sure, for sure. So you're working with one of my students right now to screen, find tenants with a fiveplex out in Welland. And, you know, one of the things is he got an amazing deal because that unit had uh, some empty some empty units and then COVID happened and the whole economic shift and going back and forth from where he lives didn't make as much sense. So he started working with you. What are some things that you do? And you know, I have a thorough screening process as well, but what are some things that you do to make sure that you find and screen the very best tenants for your clients? I'll just uh, start and jump in anytime. Really it has to be a super 
thorough process. So we're in unprecedented times. So starting with the advertisement and really screening and screening people out right at the beginning, going through every step, looking for people that are good communicators, that are um, being professionally or what we would consider courteous or diplomatic. Uh, how they communicate now, if you look at past behavior being an indicator of future behavior, and how you plan on starting your relationship with these tenants and, and how they see you or treat you. I would say that, you know, before people were coming into the units, so you got to meet them more face-to-face, -face, whereas now there's more time spent on the phone, having conversations, uh, more time on FaceTime, doing walkthroughs. I think it's important that you have this extra time right now to be able to see people under different circumstances over time, to maybe get to meet more of their family, to see them from a different perspective. There's real opportunities right now to spend the time we're seeing that there are still quite a few applicants for every single unit, especially if they're nice units and you know people do want to live there. And uh, we are calling all the references. We're checking employment. If they're not employed, we're making sure that their uh, employer is going to take them back. We're making sure that the that the numbers make sense politically correctly. That all the numbers make sense. We personally have a zero tolerance. To to dishonesty so if there's any sort of misleading sleight of hand anything about you know wrong landlord information given being dishonest in any way it's a it's a hard stop and those are the things that we're looking for so you're looking for really great people and setting the expectations about what you expect from them very early on in the process and it's also about weeding people out very quickly so that you can create a funnel and you come from sales like you're you have a funnel of people that are coming through and you're really trying to get a couple of really great people one of the advantages that we have is that you know sometimes have too many great tenants and not enough great properties and so we're able to take tenants that maybe didn't get the one that they wanted or that the, the investor chose somebody else and be able to put them in someplace else so we have a we have a pretty good database or pipeline of really great tenants that have already been pre-screened and that you know you want to see them land in a really nice house and have a really great experience that's a great point and i can see it the other way around it and if you caught some people lying then you remember their names for the next time that they apply in that same region and you know that could cut hours of somebody's time because you now create a good database and you create a database of people that you're like this person wasn't honest for whatever reason they're you know like figuratively in your black book and uh you know my my paralegal has you know because she spends all her time in the courtroom and, and she's local right and somebody who you should have on your team is a local paralegal but she knows because she sees who comes back over and over and over. So probably something even similar to you guys, if you have the same person that all of a sudden every six months, months is applying for something else, you know something's happening, they're probably you know not, uh, not the best tenant if they're moving that often. For sure, there's always those people who apply every year, who we see come back every year for a new home. 
And it's always the same story. Like you always, sometimes you hear like the same sob stories and you're like, I feel like you told me this last year. Like, how is this still happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So screening tenants is like the most important thing because that is where you have your control. And as soon as you get the keys over to the tenant, unfortunately, you lose a lot of that. So like, this is the part where you have to be very, very picky. And I hope I don't offend anything, but anybody, but tenants are a dime a dozen. They're going to come. I'd rather leave my unit empty if I don't find that right one. Yeah. Leave it empty for an extra month to get the right tenant because it'll cost you so much more to get the wrong one. Yes. And we do set, we spend a lot of time setting expectations, right? So we have an online portal for work orders or tenant requests and we can track everything. I think that's important that our regular maintenance is spelled out for them so that they understand that we're going to be in the unit minimum twice a year and make sure that, you know, changing the furnace filters and things are being taken care of from a property perspective that we do e-transfers. Um, we're not taking checks like that cash. Kind of, or cash, no cash that, uh, when they move in, we give them a plunger and there's a funny little, sign we put above the toilet that says no wipes you know those kinds of things and we have we have this opportunity to teach the maintenance um, give them a move-in binder so they know garbage day and really make sure that they they have a good relationship with us but also that they understand that we expect them to take really great care of the property and i that's one of the advantages, I think, of being able to do the, the tenant screening, the lease, and the property management is we've started the relationship with them and we can pull it all the way through for as long as we need. And we also have a, I mean, you do this, I know, as well as a very comprehensive lease with lots of addendums to make sure that, that everything is covered and then there's, there's no surprises or gotchas. Exactly. That stand, new standard Ontario lease is so bare. It needs 20 pages of stuff to, to make it decent. So I have 20 pages on mine. I'm guessing you've got tons and tons of clauses on yours. I mean, we have to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not doing anything that's against the Residential Tenancies Act, but it's important that the tenants understand what they have to do regardless what's in the act. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that um, I always worry about is some landlords sometimes they're so nice to their tenants and the tenants start taking advantage and coming up with stories about why they need another week to pay another week to pay another week to pay and sometimes you know if if you are so nice it's great but maybe look for a property manager to really have those clear processes and procedures i mean if rent is late on the second they should be getting and then four walk us through what you do as a management company if a tenant does not pay on the first? So there's definitely an extra day's grace just because of, you know, uh, stat holidays and whatnot. However, there definitely is a standard. As soon as that date is reached, there is an N4. And it's very clearly communicated with tenants that the N4 doesn't mean, hey, pay up or get out. It's, uh, you do need to pay because if you don't pay, then we do have the right to start that whole eviction process. It says very clearly, and it's actually quite frightening language on the N4 about your eviction date is this or, or whatnot. However, it's keeping you know expectations just upfront so they know that every month they don't pay on time, they're getting this form. And 
just because they pay on the 20th every month doesn't mean that that's safe. You know, once they're at the end of their lease, you can evict on frequent, persistent, not late payment. So they need to know that as well. We do have to communicate that right up front just to make sure that they know that is a potential consequence of paying late each and every month. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I like to talk to them about it as one of my screening measures after they've gone through my four, first four steps, the fifth one is actually an interview where I tell them what happens when, if they are ever late, the process of the N4, then what happens with the L1, and, and that way they're not shocked. And also, and I'm sure you guys do this as well, you tell them about how at, on, you know, on the year mark, they're going to get an increase. Take your increases. Like there's, there's barely any increases that we can even get. I mean, this year's 2.2%. We might as well take it. Because over time, we're going to be so much further behind. Mm-hmm. Not that 2.2% helps, but it's something, right? But that, if that conversation is had at the beginning, when you go ahead and you let them know that, you know, with the forms that you're going to be increasing, it's not a shock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right in one of our addendums for sure, that we can only increase rent once a year it, as per court-ordered interest rates, whatnot. So everyone's on the same page and has the same expectations once the year is up. Awesome. Ladies, this, uh, this has been great. The next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So I'm going to, Sue and Susan, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. They're just supposed to be quick answers. Are you both ready? Yep. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, 
The world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are gonna be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are gonna be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have different plans, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Who's All right, question. So when you have to ask Sue and Susan, it's always it's always Awesome. All right. So let's, um, let's start with you, Susan. Okay. What is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Ooh, my favorite real estate investing book. I mean, I read Gary Keller's book on investing. I, you know, my challenge is, is I'm not that much of a book reader. I love courses and webinars and interactive stuff. I think uh, like I love the right club. You know, I, I do attend a lot of stuff ad hoc. Sorry, no favorite book. Okay. See, what about you? I'm actually the same way. I attend a lot of conferences, right? And I find learning through firsthand experiences um, to me, it just speaks more volumes because of the, the places that we're investing in. I want to talk to people who are investing in the same place as me because the advice doesn't, isn't necessarily universal no matter where you go. Absolutely. Right? Yes, yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. Question number two, Sue, we'll start with you uh, for this one. Okay. I'm not sure if you listen to podcasts, but if you do, what is your favorite one? Oh gosh. You know, I'm not big on podcasts right now. I just, I'm so busy, you know, doing operations for 
six different things <laughs> uh, that that's not really on the top of my list right now. I wish I had more time. All right, no worries. Susan, do you listen to podcasts? I actually primarily listen to the club podcasts. I'm not a big podcast person either. Um, uh, I do like the investor events. I like YouTube. I like the stuff that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit biased towards Keller Williams. We have so many really great investors at Keller Williams and have come out of this school of helping people build wealth through real estate. So, um, but I do, I do love the, and gain. I love gains um, information as well, but it's primarily the right club. <laughs> All right, the right club podcast. Okay, question number three, Susan, we'll start with you. Your favorite pastime aside from real estate. So what do you do for fun that's not real estate? Uh, we baseball chase, not right now, but uh, when ballparks are open, our goal is to hit all 30 major league baseball stadiums. We get to see some great cities. We're actually halfway there. We've done 15 ballparks, 15 to go. So we're looking for the, uh, the masses to rejoin society in a crowded, dirty ballpark so we can watch some baseball. <laughs> all right, very cool. See, what about you? My outside interests mainly are in anything creative, cooking and board games and arts and crafts and that kind of thing. That's, that's my, my jam. All right. Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to ask each of you guys one question. Susan, I will ask you question number four and Sue, I will ask you question number five. Susan, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? How would I start again? I would definitely probably be looking at joint venture. And the reason being is that the experience and the sweat equity and uh, determination and spit and grit I have so it's really about finding people with money until I, as I got started, but that would be, that would be where I would go right away. Okay. All right. Great. And question number five for Sue, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? Real estate, obviously, <laughs> definitely seeking out, you know, 50 grand is, is enough to start buying investments, investment properties for sure. And if you're looking bigger, you know, grab a JV and go bigger. But I mean, there's no better investment than real estate ever. There never will be. Agreed. hundred percent. Ladies, where can the listeners find out more about you if they wanted to reach out? Completepropertiesinc.com. Sue is contact us at completepminc.com. And I'm Susan at complete pminc.com and we're both on Facebook and we're both on Instagram if you want to reach out to us personally so Susan Corcoran, Sue R and uh, we love questions we really do believe that um, when you come from contributions the world goes around so much nicer and easier and people have always been kind to us I'm going to speak for Sue where where we are and where we're going and we want to return the favor so any questions, big or small, please ask. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And I will say there is a, a link as well on my webpage. So if you want to contact Susan and Sue and have them help you with managing your properties, um, you guys are doing a great job with, uh, with the students that I, uh, I have right now. They're saying some great things as well as other investors. So keep it up, ladies. You guys are doing a great job. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thank you, Sarah. 
Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.